Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? No, it's a typical day, just grinding and uh, doing POV Crypto. How about, how about you, man? Super good, super good. I got back from Tel Aviv a little over a week ago, and it's just been... Uh, What's what's the right word? It's been very hectic in a, in a very good way. I had that that article go out, which blew up the Ethereum community by storm. Uh, so that was pretty cool to get all the feedback from that. It's basically just an article version of my talk from Ethereal, which I'm waiting to get the video of hopefully in the next like day or two. So yeah, pretty pretty exciting times. How was uh, how was traveling around Tel Aviv for you? Dude, Tel Aviv is freaking awesome. So many beautiful things to see. So many amazing foods to eat. Uh, I went to like three or four really famous shawarma and kebab places like maybe two or three times each so <laughs> i definitely indulge in uh the mediterranean splendors for sure for sure but before we get into the episode i want to bring up our sponsor haven it's actually really nice that haven haven's our sponsor when when christian and i started pov crypto i told him i didn't want to take any advertisements that didn't that weren't uh, quality advertisers with a quality project. And so Haven, having Haven as our first advertiser really makes me feel good. The cool thing about Haven is it's a application that's main value add is something that only cryptocurrency could have enabled. And it's also community agnostic. And so whether you're a Bitcoiner or you're an Ethereum, the value add of uh, Haven app is still the same. And that value add is the fact that you get to download the app and access the services without an email or password and just buy and sell stuff kind of like Craigslist, kind of like eBay, kind of like Amazon, but you do it with crypto uh, and you don't need to provide any of your, um, your name, address, uh, you don't sign up or anything with, with the Haven app. So super cool project. Go give them a follow on Twitter at Haven Privacy. They just passed 10,000 downloads. So that's super cool from them. Coincidentally, about a month after becoming a sponsor of POV Crypto, and perhaps uncorrelated, perhaps correlated. De- definitely correlated. I know you guys have been checking it out and share a good product along. Uh, you know, I still have a Jimmy Song programming Bitcoin book still available. Maybe I priced it too high. I need to lower uh, that sats value. You can buy a one of a kind programming Bitcoin book from me directly from the Haven app, fully privately without asking any permission. It's pretty freaking awesome, guys. Let's talk about this interview. We had Jacob Gadakian come onto the podcast. Jacob is a technologist in the space, former miner, uh, has worked you know, everywhere from kind of application-specific blockchains all the way to obviously securing Bitcoin and kind of has a, an opinion across everything. Uh, this was a fun conversation. Jacob kind of just wanted to come on and have a chat with us and you know, have a discussion about Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Uh, I really enjoyed this podcast and think that there are a lot of fantastic little snippets in there. So I know y'all will enjoy it. David, how do you like the conversation? Yeah, for sure. We touched on a lot of topics that I've always wanted to touch on. Um, Things along the lines of how does proof of work versus proof of stake impact the moneyness of the relevant cryptocurrency? Kind of just like the design choices of the blockchains and how that impacts the quality of the money that is produced. Uh, And not quality as in like how good is it, but quality as in like, what kind of money is it? Um, and so, you know, I, of course, make, this, make the case that a proof-of-stake smart contracting platform produces really good money. Uh, and then Christian and, and Jacob both uh, put their best foot forward with Bitcoin. Uh, and we kind of just talk about all dance around this subject at large. Uh, so if you're into the whole concept of internet money, uh, this, this podcast is for you. And I bring you Jacob Gadakian. 
All right, everyone. I'm super excited to bring you Jacob Gadakian to POV CryptoPod. Jacob has emerged as one of my favorite guys on Twitter. Um, I really enjoy kind of his commentaries and takes. Uh, so I asked him to come on the show. He has a lot of experience in mining and has been thinking about cryptocurrencies and protocols and money and all that stuff for a long time. Jacob, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I think we can just start with a little bit about your history, and from there we can kind of jump into uh, other topics. I, I bought my first coins actually for the MadeSafe ICO. Gosh, with, within a year of that, I, uh, I was in Shenzhen starting a company, whereas when I bought those coins, I was actually a high school teacher. I got into crypto pretty, pretty deeply and quickly, although it was uh, originally mostly through altcoins. Um, first MadeSafe, uh, then BitShares, then Steam, and I even uh, worked on a project to kind of create my own altcoin, Dawn, which was to be an application-specific social blockchain, a little bit similar to Steemit. Yeah, then I moved back to the United States with my wife, and I joined a company called Drone Energy, which is a uh, cryptocurrency mining firm on, uh, you know, con- basically containerized Bitcoin mining. That also got me quite into Bitcoin in the purest sense. While all throughout the time that I had owned altcoins and used altcoins, I was also using Bitcoin. You know, basically in that classic case of like Bitcoin as liquidity provider, right? You buy the Bitcoin so that you can get the alts, really. <laughs> what can I say? Over time, most of those alts faded away. I was a pretty early Steam user. and I, I did really well on that platform, but had I kept my money there, it, it would have would have mostly dissipated by now. And what I found was that when I bought Bitcoin and, and held it, you know, it sort of stuck around. And so that's that's left me in the in the place where I am today, where I look at Bitcoin and, and maybe Litecoin and maybe a couple of other mined currencies as like useful money, but also, because of my background with alts, I, I, I do have a strong feeling that there are going to end up being applications for uh, blockchain technology that are, that are probably like not pure Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, what, what do we have there? We have your smart contract platforms, and then you have application-specific blockchains. Um, that said... To me, Bitcoin is pretty much money. And I, I think that because of that, right, because of its pretty much unique characteristics, um, when it comes to pure monetary applications, we're going to see Bitcoin, um, not to be too much of a speculator, but I, I feel like it's going to appreciate a great deal in price. And I also feel like it's going to creep into other avenues and areas, not just as liquidity for alts, but um, instead as, uh, well, liquidity for alts, uh, money in situations where there's a great deal of inflation, which actually I kind of see that coming Generally, like in the United States, I, Trump is more or less advocating for inflation. That's 
that's that's a little bit about my history with crypto. I've I've literally uh, I think been all over the space in that regard. So can you talk a little bit more about your history with mining? Like where what is the experience that you have with the, the whole mining operation? With regard to mining, uh, at, at Drone Energy, we built containerized mining systems. Uh, actually, they, they continue to build them and I assume do an excellent job. I'm no, I'm no longer with them. And then also to tie into it, how does your background with mining kind of lead in? Because you mentioned that you think that uh, proof of work blockchains are the money blockchains. So how did that idea develop? Totally. I'm assuming that started with your mining operation, uh, mining company. It, it did, because prior to that, I hadn't really studied mining or given Bitcoin itself, in my mind, like the, the attention that it's due. Um, so, all right, let's talk about mined cryptocurrencies versus uh, either pre-mined or proof of stake, right? So if we were like, compared to Ethereum, there was that, that pre-sale that conjured all of these coins basically out of nowhere. There is, of course, the argument that they were purchased, and they were, and I think that, uh, unlike a lot of folks who just, just straight promote Bitcoin, right? I think there are probably valid uses for, for Ethereum. However, I think that the pure proof of work design of Bitcoin, where nobody ever got a coin without mining it, really makes it quite ideal for money because the playing field has always operated exactly according to a certain set of rules and everybody there is no like get in early on bitcoin you, you, you either mined it or you bought it um you could have bought it like at a lower price but okay i want to i want to push back there so yeah absolutely man this is this has been uh this is a very frequent bitcoin argument right where like, there was no pre-mine you know everyone it was always super fair distribution I think it's using, and Bitcoiners do this a lot, it's using the Bitcoin blockchain as the anchor, as the standard, even though that's not the standard. If we want to talk about fairness, Bitcoin isn't the standard for fairness. It is a way to have fairness. Um, and, and people say like the only way, to, yeah, you, what you just said, the only way that you can get Bitcoin is if you contribute to the network, if you provide work, if you do work for the network. Well, in my opinion, with proof of with uh, proof of stake ICO, uh, I, I like Ethereum. Mm -hmm. What Ethereum needed was money, and when you contribute money, how do you get money? You get it by working, and so you contribute what Ethereum needed the most at the time that it needed it the most. And so it's it's an alternative frame of reference for viewing how do we contribute work to a network that needs to bootstrap and for ethereum that the answer was we need funds in order to start up this blockchain and it was fair it, it, like how many people mined bitcoin when there were 50 bitcoin blocks like not that many and and in addition when you ico a, a currency like ether the idea is especially when it goes is a, a future proof of stake blockchain the idea is that we need to get ether into as many hands as possible and so we don't want to restrict this to people that have a mining rig. We want to restrict this to people that have money, which most people have money. And so I think it's, it's using the Bitcoin frame as an anchor for fairness, I think is, is incorrect. And it, and it kind of blinds us to the fact that there are other ways to bootstrap a network. You want to get a little crazy? 
Because the, the way that I see this is that, you know, Ethereum was only possible because of Bitcoin. And there was definitely no unfairness about the Ethereum ICO. In fact, like when it, when it comes to ICOs or decentralized fundraising, I, I think that the Ethereum ICO is, is more or less as good as it gets, right? Um, not only did it provide excellent results for the investors, um, but as far as I know, it was run in a pretty much fair and transparent manner. You could probably complain about some details, of which I probably don't even know about because I haven't spent too much time on Ethereum. But, you know, for, from what I understand, that, that pre-sale was run quite well. So I have no problem with the ETH pre-sale unless we're discussing Ether as money. And then I, I, I take a bit of an issue because it's, 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 like, it's like you have crowdfunded the money into existence. And yeah. I don't want to like get into a legal argument because you know, I'm sure you're familiar with that whole like ETH is a security argument and i i don't exactly agree with it i think that some people were making that argument in kind of bad faith like oh ETH is a security like like let's get them make it illegal right but i i do think that in a sense it operates a little bit closer to a security than pure money and i think that mining plays into this and I, I'll, I'll like gladly get into that a little bit so with mining right if if you look back into the history of bitcoin right the, the earliest estimates of price were actually based on electricity. And still today, you can establish kind of a floor price for Bitcoin um, via mining. There, there are a few ways to do this, and it really depends on, like, which equipment you're, you're basing your estimation on, right? Like, um, the, the newer your equipment, therefore, the higher your CapEx, right? Newer equipment, higher CapEx. CapEx, meaning uh, your joules per terahash is going to be lower, meaning that... Hang on, before... Sorry, Jacob, to cut you off. Before we, before we get into this, I totally want to get into, it, into okay. this, but uh, yeah. I think we, we just started talking about two different things. Um, so you said... Uh, uh, and I, I, I see what you, what you mean when you say, like, Bitcoin is better money because of its organic starting place without because it's because it, i totally agree it's weird to have ico'd money like that's a that's a weird thing to do um but i don't but like think, not necessarily wrong right <laughs> yeah not necessarily wrong but it's still it's still weird it, it still shouldn't really sit right like because it is it is a thing of like get in early for the future of money right? right like that seems like a weird thing um but at some point uh it's we do have to take into account like there there's there's two things to take into account one is are people going to care uh and two is that going to stop it and i would say that if we're talking about a financial platform for like seven billion people we're in a world of complacency and so long as it's just fair enough and and to what you said like well you know the ico was done to a pretty good degree and and the ic the ethereum's ico is to the ICO is to Ethereum as proof of work is to Bitcoin, where like plenty of other proof of work blockchains totally fucked up their genesis. Right? Oh, absolutely. A, a pre mine, right? Like, uh, and so Bitcoin's of proof of work genesis money, was, was great. If there's a pre mine, I don't count it. Right. Um, and so the same thing with Ethereum's ICO, it they did the ICO before the ICO was corrupted. 
right? It was the pure ICO with done with good intentions. And I think that that's going to make Ethereum and the distribution of Ether fair enough to the point where people won't care about how it came about. And so like, maybe it's not this perfect, it's not this immaculate conception story that Bitcoin is, but when it comes to scaling up to a, a tr- scaling trust to a, to 7 billion people, I think it'll be close enough, at least close enough to keep it within, not to not totally be like contentious. Hmm. The real question is, which means he wants to say something. Yeah, okay. The real question is, where's Bitcoin going to be? Like, okay, so it's still good enough, but it's still living in a world where there's better. Like, where's Bitcoin going to be? Better, according to your subjective. There's a lot of this execution risk that is still involved with ETH, but if even if you execute, like, where's Bitcoin going to be at that point? So I think that's a question that you always have to bring into account when you're at least thinking about these uh, money systems. So that, that execution risk is huge. And, and then, right. Let, let's like, if we were to forget about the execution risk altogether, I think we have to discuss like quality of money, um, which is where I, I, one, I think Bitcoin will win. And two, I think that if Ethereum does well, if Ethereum executes, right. And the platform grows, Bitcoin as a store of value will actually invade Ethereum. I mean, we, we see this already with the, I believe it's called WBTC. Please correct me if I'm wrong, that wrapped Bitcoin. Um, and I, I think that that's not only going to happen on Ethereum, but also on application-specific blockchains because Bitcoin is a really great store of value. Um, so yeah, David, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I think Bitcoiners conflate money with store of value. I think Bitcoin is a great store of value. I think it's not so great money. Um, And I've I've just started formulating my thoughts on this as I've kind of gone through this presentation that I'm going to give at Ethereal in September, um, talking about Ether as money. And I think um, money, you need to be more, more than just a store of value. Uh, store value is super important and arguably the most important out of the triad. And the triad is being, uh, being a store of value, being mm-hmm. a capital asset, and then being a consumable asset. And these are the three asset superclasses that uh, uh, Chris Berniski did not create, but he cited in his um, uh, Placeholder VC's blog. Uh, I can't remember the author of it. It was a non-crypto author, wrote it in like 1997 about the three asset superclasses. So you have a store of value, which is like gold and okay. real estate. And then you have capital assets, which are like uh, ca- cattle or also real estate that produce or equities that produce dividends over time. And so like the T-bill, the treasury bill is like the US dollar, which is money in a capital asset form. And so the, the dollar can turn into the T-bill and then becomes this capital asset. Or the cow, the cattle, way back when, when cows were used as money, right. is it, the reason why it's valuable is because it produces more of itself. It produces other cattle and then also milk. It produces dividends. <laughs> right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a form of money. And then you have uh, consumable, transformable assets, which is kind of like commodities, kind of like commodity money, a little bit like oil, kind of like wheat, things that have intrinsic value that you can turn into other things. And I think that the proper definition of money, if we're going to define money, is it's the asset that does all three of these things to the best degree possible. And so to to wrap this up, Bitcoin is a really, really good store of value. And it's going to, and Christian, to answer your question, where's Bitcoin going to be? 
and when Ether is like that, the answer is as a really good store of value. But it's not going to be a capital asset and it's not going to be a consumable asset because that's just the nature of the Bitcoin blockchain. It's done, it's, it's overly simplified itself. It simplified itself maximally, excuse me, to just maximize on the store of value part of money. Would you, would you say that, like, how, how does Ether actually function as a capital asset as, or as a consumable asset? Uh, so staking is Ether in its capital asset form. So when you stake Ether, you get paid Ether dividends. Uh, and then the consumable transformable asset is the uh, gas form. So when Ether gets converted into gas and then burned for an economic transaction inside the Ethereum economy, that's like the, the oil in your tank. It's like the petroleum of the world. And petroleum is everywhere, right? Like it's in your gas tank. It's the asphalt on the road. It's building the buildings. So that's the ether as gas is kind of the economic substrate that powers the world. It gives the world its energy. Energy is everything. It really is. Um, so I, what would you say about one of, the, one of the fascinating things about Bitcoin to me is that it's, uh, it's kind of a storage mechanism right? Like it's sort of a, a giant hard disk. So while Bitcoin isn't consumed when you pay transaction fees, um, you're certainly like there, there's an on-chain mechanism for actually, you know, using Bitcoin for your own purposes that doesn't involve just sending money to people or hoarding it. And, and personally, I'm a big fan of the, the hoarding use case, actually. Like, like, um, how do you think that compares to, you know, burning ether as gas? So, uh, Jacob, can you kind of re, uh, can you say, ask that question again? I'm a little confused sure. about what you mean. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm sure you know about like the, the op return system in Bitcoin and the fact that, that you know, um, you, you basically Bitcoin exists so that you can make secure storage on the blockchain. What I mean is, that's like one of the most important reasons to even have a currency in this system is to be able to pay fees and write transactions of various types into the blockchain. Even though of course, really, you know, Bitcoin is largely financial, but um, he was, you know, David was talking about using ether as gas and how that, that like makes it a consumable asset. I guess what I'm kind of pointing out is that, Bitcoin itself has a, a pretty long history of being used for things other than uh, pure transferring of money. I wouldn't know the first thing about that. That oh, would be news to okay. me. Um, you, you, so can, like, I, can I jump in here really quick? Please do. Uh, I, I just want to like completely push back and disagree with David's definition. Like, I think that these are arbitrary definitions that you are applying to fit your definition rather than what is actually happening. The reality is, and this is something that is talked about a lot in Austrian economics, is that the commodity value of something that is used as a store of value or money or whatever that value is actually distorted and ruined by the monetary value, which is always significantly higher than whatever the commodity's intrinsic value is. So rather, the commodity's intrinsic value as something else has really nothing to do with its monetary value. And its monetary value is strictly about its monetary attributes, right? So with gold, it doesn't tarnish. It's really easy to verify for the, you know, for the most part, um, it's lasts forever. You can 
uh, you know, again, like it's very, very hard. It has very strong stock to flow. This is why gold won in the marketplace because of those attributes. Nothing, right. you know, at that moment, like you couldn't make, use it for electronics or anything like that. And <laughs> you could even argue that the monetary use case for gold is distorting its usefulness because now it's way more expensive to get gold for electronics or something else. I think Bitcoin is something that has the opportunity to be this pure monetary asset um, with no kind of um, other other things getting in the way. And actually, I'm very, very bearish on even timestamping on Bitcoin things that aren't money related because it's going to be way cheaper to do it elsewhere to a sufficient degree. Whereas, you know, the settlement layer of money is just going to make it way too expensive to use, do anything else that's not purely monetary related. Gotcha. Um, I guess I'm going to kind of double down on that because I was, well, all right, we have, we have David's kind of definition of money here, SOV, capital asset, consumable asset. Um, but if you were to look at this kind of through the lens of Austrian economics, like you just mentioned, um, the thing about Bitcoin is, and I really do believe this to be the case, it is our purest form of money yet ever. Um, as a species. And it's not just uh, a technological layer. You know, this, this is also socially enforced. And uh, I think it has a lot of learnings in terms of what makes actual good money built into it. Um, and that's, you know, really why I think Bitcoin is the best money cryptocurrency. Now, you mentioned you're a little bearish on like timestamping and stuff. Um, and I, I just do want to say that I, I think that Bitcoin presents tremendous value for storing things forever. Like it's expensive, right? Bitcoin transactions do cost, especially when compared to other networks and what have you. But um, if you, if you want to keep something forever and have a permanent record of it, I actually think that it's pretty cheap. Um, just given the level of permanence that you achieve on Bitcoin. Um, but, but indeed, you know, the, the monetary uses are of course king. Um, Bitcoin is, is fantastic money. And, and I think a lot of that really does come down to the fact that you're, it's, it's really hard to get, um, you know, right now, uh, you know, mining farms less than say like, uh, 10 petawatts, or sorry, 10 petahash, um, are relatively small. And that's, it's a huge operation that involves, you know, very capital intensive and, a lot of special purpose hardware and a lot of special purpose electrical work goes into that. Um, and I, I think that that extreme scarcity uh, really does drive its value as money. And then the, the fact that there's only that one way in is, is also a huge um, driver for Bitcoin and then like boosts it, it boosts its value as money. So is getting, is something that's hard to get there for money? And I, I think that's the uh, automatic conclusion that a lot of Bitcoiners come to that I don't necessarily, I'm not ready to hop on board with. I don't think that's your necessarily get money out of just being hard to get. 
Well, like being being hard to get means that you're liquid, right? Because, be, be, or maybe it doesn't. No, I, I don't think being hard to get implies liquidity, actually. And I, and I do think that like liquidity is basically a requirement to to be money if it's not convertible, right? right? right. So <laughs> I I would say it's more like hard to get and either universally desired or near universally desired. And that has to do with its utility. Um, gold is super, super useful. And of course it's like, it's monetary uses mm-hmm. greatly outweigh it's like technological uses or, or even it's, it's uses as, as a decorative thing. Right. Um, and I think that, that Bitcoin is uniquely well situated to step into a, a gold-like role where it's nearly universally desired. So uh, I, I'm not going to say that Bitcoin isn't, that's not going to be the future of Bitcoin because all the data seems to be projecting it there. Um, what, what I do want people to consider is that uh, a lot of a lot of Bitcoiners like, like Christian here will point to the Austrian school and, and say like, this is the way that this works in the past. And so therefore it's going to work this way into the future. And I think people are taking history literally and they're saying history repeats itself and not saying that history rhymes. Uh, and I, I think that there's going to be this, this slight twist as to the way that the money works on the internet in this new society that we have that means that the traditional just store of value asset might not be the same. It might not play by the same rules that we know and, and know from Austrian economics previous of, of 2000. And so that's where I think where Bitcoiners are like store value only uh, store value, maximize, et cetera, et cetera. I'm more inclined to be like, well, let's make sure that this asset can do all the things for all the people. Uh, because that's how you scale, I think, in this day and age where we have a blockchain network that can literally scale to all the people. So, all right. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't you actually say that Bitcoin is kind of like a rhyme to gold? I mean, just to give you just, just one small example, right? Bitcoin's constantly declining supply, this concept of artificial scarcity. Uh, it does not exist in the world of gold. Yeah, it... Right. It's not actually gold. So it, it does rhyme with gold, but I would say that I'm looking for a, a more something that's actually a little bit, it, it just rhymes a little bit and I want it to rhyme. It's a small deviation from gold and I'm looking for like a larger one. I'm looking so, for one that is actually a more, when, when people look back, when people look back on history and say like, oh yeah, Bitcoin, it, they're going to say like, oh yeah, it perfectly maps onto gold. Like pretty, pretty much like it, there are some small nuances, like there is actually a finite supply. It's mm-hmm. on the internet uh, and gold's not. And yeah, but basically the principle, the principles are still the same, like finite supply that no one control that. Um, and it's, it's found everywhere in the world. Uh, and I'm looking for like, okay, those things, but also some new things too, like being a, a stakeable asset with, um, with interest rates or a consumable gas type thing. Go ahead. Christian. Um, well, I, I wanted to, Oh, David, did you want to hop in? I mean, I mean, Christian. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say that, that, that David likes his Austrian economics when it's convenient, to, when it's convenient to him. I like to say that uh, Austrian economics is underrated by most people, but overrated by people that talk about Austrian economics. Underrated. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
So, like, I, I did kind of want to discuss smart contract platforms for, mm-hmm. for a minute because, like, I'm actually – I think there's a future there. I'm just not really sure it's as money. So you were talking about, maybe this is a good way to segue, right? You were talking about this more ideal internet money. Can you tell us about perfect internet money? Yeah, sure. Uh, perfect internet money is it's, it's scarce. So it follows the Austrian rules. But I'm willing to allow some amount of inflation if that means that that inflation goes to putting the hands putting of the asset into more people. So perfect internet money is in the hands of as many people as possible. Uh, and then it's also in this wallet that can be programmed to behave like a bank account. So you're, everyone's uh, all a big fan of the whole be your own bank thing. Um, and then the wallet on your phone has this asset in it and the wallet itself is programmable to behave in certain ways to maximize wealth for you. Uh, and so it can do that in a bunch of different ways where it can, the, the funds of the currency, the ideal internet currency go, can program itself to get a return based off of your personal investment criteria. How risky are you? How, how non-risky are you? Like how, how much of a guarantee do you want to have? How much, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the way that it does this is it does this through a collection of different investment uh, opportunities because as soon as you get money, you should have a savings account and then the rest you should invest because that's just how finance works. And so this money invests itself either by staking or by, um, I don't know, some sort of like set protocol token that behaves a certain way or through selling itself or die and then getting an interest off die, but basically getting an interest over time off itself. And then it pays the fees to do this in the transaction. I'm basically just describing Ethereum. That's basically what I'm doing. Oh, oh, um, well, no, this is interesting to me because I've never heard anybody describe Ethereum like this before. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and so like, thing. <laughs> You're kind of like giving, giving me this, this roadmap or vision where like, okay, suppose I've got a phone with one of these ultimate wallets, right? I've got mm-hmm. 10 ETH in there. The, the, the Ethereum vision is that what my, my money is going to invest itself if I ask it to. I'm, I'm sure I will, I will need to ask it to, but mm-hmm. like how. The Ethereum vision, well, that's, that's part of it. And the Ethereum yeah. vision is much more grand than this, like other things not to do with money, but at least with the financial financial side, uh, there will be mechanisms where you can, we, we call them money robots, or at least Ryan, Sean, and Adams does. Um, okay. For example, the SET protocol, are you familiar with SET protocol? I'm not familiar with SET protocol. So they create bundles of tokens and they have this one token that is um, one part ETH and one part DAI, and it rebalances itself based off of certain... Um, metrics and so one of them is the like the 20 day moving average token and so every time ether crosses the 20 day moving average it sells its own die and buys more ether and it's gotten pretty great returns actually i think it's gotten like 11 percent returns over the last like four months 11 percent alpha on your ether and mm-hmm. so this might be an investment vehicle that you might want to have in your wallet and so it's but it, this investment vehicle is just ether and die in some form and die is just ether in another form and so this this perfect internet money, which I think could be ether, can turn itself into other things to help you gain an alpha off of your investment. I mean, so one, die, I, I consider die really impressive. It's, uh-huh. it, it's interesting and you, you can literally like watch it work, um, <laughs> which, which I, I think is really cool. Um, but uh, with this set protocol thing, I mean, if I wanted to use it, wouldn't it kind of be a bear to set up? 
Uh, no, it's just like buying a token. You can go buy the, the it's like an ERC-20 token. So I buy the ERC-20 token and then all the automation happens remotely and I hold this like set token, which represents a balanced amount of even mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. And this is just one of many possible uh, orchestrations of uh, rebalancing mechanism. There's, so, there, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. This, this is actually what I think is really interesting about smart contract platforms mm-hmm. is composability. Mm-hmm. Right. Considering that DAI is just Ether in this other form, and it's like distilled Ether, stable Ether, um, you, have, you can have Ether and then you can stake Ether and then, then produce your passive income that way. And then you can also uh, purchase DAI and then have DAI in the DAI savings rate and then have passive income that way. And then you can have Ether uh, in a set protocol token that buys and sells itself according to certain rules. And so you have three different ways to produce alpha for, your, uh, for yourself. And what this means is like you have a diversified portfolio. You have DAI in the DSR producing interest rates over time. You have Ether being locked up and making sure that you always have more Ether than you did previously because it's um, staking itself, which means you are exposing yourself to the growth of the Ethereum network. And then you have like the super speculative side, which is Ether in the set protocol token, which is trading itself on certain rules, certain parameters. And so you have this very safe level, which is the die savings rate, which is kind of like the bond market. And then you have this little bit more speculative, which is Ether staking, which is exposure to Ethereum. And then you have the, the high risk, which is some trading mechanism. Or you could even, instead of set protocol being uh, a bunch of Ether and DAI trading itself, you could have a bunch of ERC-20s. You could have your ERC-20 set protocol token, which has 10 ERC-20s, which is like the super high risk stuff. So you have inside this perfect internet money, you have this opportunity to have an array of uh, different wealth-preserving strategies that all produce passive income and then also gain exposure to either a stable price die or to uh, the exposure of the Ethereum ecosystem. I feel like Christian's triggered right now. I, I can see it. I can see it. He should, he should take a turn. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm not triggered per se. Um, <laughs> but I, I just feel like all of this is attempting to do something which is achieved by just sound money. Like why jump mm-hmm. through all these hoops? Um, I mean, I think there'll Ether's be options, but I'm, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It's, it, the, the answer to that question is maybe. I, I'm not sure that all those things will be achieved by by sound money, CK. But like, here's the thing, right? Does like don't uh, David? I assume that a decent amount of your net worth is in Ethereum, right? In Ether. You would assume correct. <laughs> and like ether denominated assets. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And so while you were giving this to me kind of unprecedented description of Ethereum, mm-hmm. I definitely was kind of thinking, well, geez, what about the house of cards scenario? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about that? Oh yeah. No, it's a huge risk. It's not a huge risk to ether. It, but what is, so like the, the first Thing that I, that might fall in the house of cards things is compound. Compound is uh, I think it's been it's been audited, but it hasn't been audited to my to my level of scrutiny that I would want. Uh, so like say compound breaks, um, well then then a bunch in the worst case scenario, somebody who broke it ran off with a bunch of ether and die. Um, right. But then all of the C die, and do you know what C die is? 
Uh, seed dye is like interest bearing dye, right? Yeah, compound right. Dye. So compound yeah. dye, right? And so it's this token that uh, it's it's like it's a it's interest bearing it's an interest bearing token, but the token doesn't go up in number. It just has a claim on more dye in compound. And so, oh, you can so own like the token when, when you take it out, you. No, you can send it around just like dye, right? But it just it just has more. It, it grows in value because of the interest from compound. Okay. And so it's 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 a built-in. It's like it's like trading treasury bonds, basically. It's like instead of hey, um, pay me ten dollars, you can say hey, pay me ten dollars in treasury bonds because as soon as you receive it, you are accruing interest, which is kind of cool. All of that would break. All the C die out there would break. And there's like thirty-five million dollars of C die or thirty million dollars of C die, which is like forty percent of all die out there. So that would break. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then we could go even lower and uh, say like maybe make or doubt breaks. What happens if MakerDAO breaks? Uh, yeah, shit, shit gets fucked. Um, <laughs> shit gets fucked, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of what happens with the 08 crisis, right? Like the fundamental, uh, a fundamental asset of America broke. The difference is in 08, it was because all the ledgers were private and obscured behind closed doors, behind a walled garden, and we couldn't see what they are. In Ethereum, you can see what they are. You, we all get to see what the ledgers are. Uh, the the only difference we have now is that we have smart contract risk, uh, which means that in order for other, these things to not break, we have to resort to Lindy, which means that we just have to sit and wait for them to not break. Right. Mm-hmm. Sort of see how mature those contracts are. Speaking of smart contracts, so I, mean, I guess I'm going to segue again, and this time maybe into like application-specific blockchains. So. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first got into cryptocurrency, right, so it was, you know, first made safe, but then BitShares and Steam, and those were early blockchains that really just serviced like a single application. And of course, we're very highly centralized. Um, Same thing with EOS, really. Um, That said, I've I've got some experience with what's called the Cosmos SDK. Uh, and building application-specific blockchains. Um, I'm actually working on one with uh, Universe Labs currently. And the the reason why I'm going from smart contracts into application-specific blockchains is I think that there's a class of contracts that don't do well on platforms where they compete with other contracts for bandwidth. Classic example being CryptoKitties, but I, I think that there there's other stuff out there as well. And then also with application-specific blockchains, when you're talking like the monetary part of it, and mind you, just clear note here, I think the best application-specific blockchains are actually going to support Bitcoin as money. When, when you're, you're dealing with uh, a single token for that chain, um, I think that you're able to create something that's a bit, more, bit stronger than like an ERC-20. I'll just like give you my, my classic thought on this, right? If I create an ERC-20 token on Ethereum, right? I have created, you know, an entry in what, like the Ethereum world computer database, so to speak, right? I don't have any infrastructure. There's nothing solid there. Now, if I go out and I use the Cosmos SDK or possibly Polkadot, which I know far less about, but it's pretty interesting. Um, To build an application-specific blockchain, one, I do have infrastructure. I actually have my own nodes and my own staking set up. And then two, um, it's it's not dependent on another 
setup. Just for example, Ethereum, but of course it could be Ethereum, could be EOS, could be many different things, right? Um, and curious to kind of get your thought on this postulation. My thought has been that a lot of applications are going to flee Ethereum over time, especially if they require bandwidth. I don't really have too strong opinions on that. Uh, I don't think we're yet, we're not really yet to see an application specific blockchain actually take off. Um, and I could be wrong on this, but partly I think why that won't happen is because it does break composability. Uh, composability is huge risk, right? But also with huge reward. And it's, it's the reward of compounding network effects. Um, network effects that, that each, like MakerDAO has its own network effect, right? And then it compounds with every other application on top of Ethereum, which each compounds with itself, uh, which is what many money Legos are. That's like the money Legos mean with, with uh, Ethereum. Uh, and if you have an application specific blockchain, I just don't see how that works. Uh, you're just, you're, you're siloing risk and you're siloing applications. And I would rather not do that. And that's also why we're increasing our bandwidth by 1,024 shards. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, all right, fine. Like, let's go there. Um, you think that's going to work out? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah? I do. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think say, say it, it doesn't work out. We're just going to try again. We're just going to keep on going until it works. <laughs> like if, if maybe it takes a, a bearish amount of years, but like the project doesn't stop. Like Ethereum 1X is going to be valuable enough to, to fund development to figure out the sharding problem. And there's also no reason to think why the current sharding problem won't be solved in our current implementation of it. I don't Where's understand. Bitcoin? Sorry? Stuck on the Bitcoin blockchain, Christian. Well, what did what, you say, Christian? <laughs> he said, I just keep saying, like, where is Bitcoin going to be? Because like, he well, so- keeps talking about the development of Ethereum, and yet <laughs> permissionless innovation is just happening on, on the, the rock that is Bitcoin. That's, that's, exact, that's exactly not composable innovation. Uh, I, I, I disagree <laughs> with that, though, because like, I mean, just, just to give you one semi-exotic example of that, right? Like, when building an application-specific blockchain, you can absolutely... Uh, when you start your app chain node, also start a Bitcoin node. Those two co- those two nodes can communicate with one another, and bam, you've integrated Bitcoin into an application specific blockchain. Thus, you are composing Bitcoin. It's also happening on Ethereum uh, with that like uh, WBTC. Wasn't there also? And hopefully a- one day TBTC. Recently, hopefully one day TBTC. Mm-hmm. Watching Bitcoin sort of spread its value into other places. Um, I, I don't get the feeling that Bitcoin lacks composability. I, I actually strongly get the feeling that, that because Bitcoin is so stable and because Bitcoin has so few features, it's going to end up getting integrated into more and more and more software. And while, so like some people say lightning is the, mo- the best thing since sliced bread. Right. And actually, personally, I, I tend to rate things on, on user experience. I can't say that lightning is currently the best thing since sliced bread. But if that like that, that's a very good example of something that's built on top of, but largely separate from Bitcoin, except for using Bitcoin as a notion of money. 
And I, I suspect that Bitcoin's high quality money is going to permeate all kinds of other digital systems, including Ethereum. Like just, just for example, I suspect that if Bitcoin does really well, Ethereum is like likely to do really well. And also if Bitcoin does really well, um, Bitcoin is likely to end up more and more tightly integrated with Ethereum. We'll see, you know, Ethereum style. Uh, oh, let me cut in there. That's why, that's why when, when Christian goes, where's Bitcoin going to be? My right? answer is always like somewhere else. Like, sure, maybe it'd be super valuable, but the growth and success of the Ethereum ecosystem is totally, I mean, no, yeah, it's pretty independent from Bitcoin. Like our prices are correlated at this moment, but like Ethereum can succeed or fail regardless of where, whether, where Bitcoin is going to be. Somewhere else. So you mean like not on the Bitcoin blockchain or? What I'm saying is like they're, they're not competing. They are to some degree. There's, there's overlap. But I would say that they most more don't compete than they do compete. I actually tend to agree with you, yeah. but you might disagree with my next statement. Okay. So I, I, I agree. I don't think they compete that much. And it's because Bitcoin is money and Ethereum is for smart contracts. Money for smart contracts. Uh, I mean, something has to be money inside is, of Ethereum. Is Ether money? Like, Yes, it, 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 it is. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, uh, you know, Ryan Sean Adams probably, and like I often reply to his posts about, you know, ether is money, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. Ether, you know, if you go back to the white paper, right, or yellow paper, whatever it was for Ethereum, right, the, like, and it, it's you know, screw, the, screw the white yes. paper. It, 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 ether. You <laughs> said screw the white paper. Yeah, screw the white paper. Okay, okay. As soon as Ethereum, the blockchain, is up and running, like it's going to figure out its own need for for ether. Like it, the Ethereum blockchain defines what ether is. Hold on, I gotta I gotta go get a package. One second. Absolutely, absolutely, man. I also say screw the screw the white paper. And I actually, I, uh, I read the, the Ethereum white paper and it's pretty accurate to what's happening right now. And they talk about monetary use cases all the time in there. So um, I find that to just be uh, a really weak straw man by many, including many Bitcoiners. Again, like when David says, you know, where's Bitcoin going to be? It doesn't matter where Bitcoin's going to be because it's proven on the Bitcoin ledger. And that's why Bitcoin is socially scalable. It doesn't have to be on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, I think you're focusing on these uh, flawed metrics. Uh, the metrics don't matter. Like I think uh, Antiprosis posted like a chart of like how many developers are working on something, and then uh, how much monetary premium or price um, is accrued to those things. And he's like, "Look, ETH is all the way over here. Therefore, it should go up." Like, or you're just paying attention to the fucking wrong metrics. No, no, and totally, like, no. I, I agree with him. It, it's it's the right metric for smart contracting platforms. It's the wrong metric for a pure proof of work platform. Like anyone who codes and points at Bitcoin is like, "Oh, Bitcoin doesn't have any developers." It's like, well, no, that yeah, by design. It's kind of the point. Yeah, it's it's, it's very very simple. Right. Actually, it's that's my favorite thing about it. And yeah. I mean, I guess I, I imagine we're like kind of drawn toward the end. So here's, here's my next thing, right? Now that I've got a really experienced You're going to have to wrap guy. this up sometime soon. Yeah, now that I've got a really experienced ETH guy to, to throw something at, maybe this could even be our last thing, right? So here it is. Complexity, right? Uh -huh. um, 
Bitcoin is an incredibly simple system. And actually, to me, right, this is why it's beautiful. This is why it's great money. And this is why it's going to be stable. Ethereum, on the other hand, is increasingly complex. In fact, from what I hear, you guys kind of want to make it a good deal more complex than it currently is. Totally. So what do you think about that, that, that like risk, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Model T was a very simple car and it worked. And now cars are really, really uh, complicated, really, really complex. And then it got even more complex with other vehicles like helicopters and jet engines. What, what doesn't matter how complex it is, it's how much complexity can we control. And the story of the human race is controlling for complexity. Like you can find this in almost any industry, right? Like the food industry is how many complex flavors can we make uh, orchestrate around each other? Like that's, that's just it's the story of the human condition is how do we control complexity? And that's just what Ethereum is. Like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is complex. Bitcoin's super complex. Go talk to some, some, some kid on the street and, and tell them how Bitcoin is. And like, this is hard. <laughs> okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin is controlled complexity. And Ethereum is the next iteration of controlled complexity. Hmm. Should we end it there? We could. We could totally. Yeah, um, coming on 52 minutes. DK, any, any, other, any other final thoughts or anything? Um, I would, I always just want to chime in and not end it on a David punchline, but uh, David soundbite. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would say that uh, Model T is not the right way to think of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's more like a, a road and Lightning Network is like the Model T and we're going to have some sports cars built on the yeah. Bitcoin road. Oh, like wonderful analogy there. I, I to made it dirt. <laughs> a simple dirt road works. It hey, does. we've improved the dirt well. road very a lot. And we made it stronger, more dependable, right? And more robust. Mm-hmm. Not by like, you know, put levitating it. Yeah. All right. All right, Jacob. Where can people find you on Twitter uh, if they want to reach out to you and find out more about you? Uh, how should okay. they contact so, you? So, yeah, actually, Twitter is definitely the best way. Uh, you can reach me at, at sign Gadakian. That's G A D I K I A N. All right, guys, you can follow the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can follow me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. You know where you can find me? At CK underscore Snarks. Uh, you can also find me in Seattle, in Tel Aviv, and in Riga, uh, globetrotting over here. Hopefully, my, uh, my joyful suffering will be over soon. <laughs> Travel is always uh, a double-edged sword. True. Remember, five-star reviews, guys. We really appreciate them. We need to get to 100 reviews, 100K Bitcoin, 100 POV reviews. Very tightly correlated. This is a fact. This is a fact. All right, Jacob, thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a great day.
Will you just see?